You can be seated. I'll invite my uh, friend Chad up. Hey, bud, he's already here. Uh, I must say, uh, Chad is. Uh, a, I, I only like doing intro, but I, this is like totally. Out Should of I go back? No, no, this is good. This will be fun. This is like my chance after all these years. Actually, Chad and I went to college together at um, the University of Tennessee, and uh, he wants to sing Rocky Top for you guys. Will you let him? Yeah. That's awesome. Is that? No, I'm just playing. Uh, he probably doesn't even remember the words. Do you? My wife actually took Ryan to a date party. Before That's true. Oh my gosh, Jade, are you here? No, she's not here. Oh, okay, great. So. That's right. Before we go back she, before. Now, this was after. This was before they got married, of course. Jade and Chad. And I, I think so. Yes, That's the timeline. The timeline there. Anyways, Chad uh, is an RUF pastor at uh, SMU. How many folks know where that is? Southern Methodist University in Town. That's Dallas. Uh, for all you non-Texas folk. And uh, he is a friend of mine. We were in seminary together, and it's a joy to hear him open God's word. So, um, Chad, please do your thing. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to Colossians 1, verses 3 through 14. So, we're going to work through the whole book this uh, upcoming week. Um, obviously, we won't catch every verse. But we'll do our best to catch the major themes of Colossians. And we'll start where Paul starts. In the very beginning of the book. In verses 3 through 14. And uh, let me just say this. I know that um, this is my first time here. It's, I've been to the East YXL. This is way better. It's uh, a good start. Um, anyway, but... Uh, I don't know, obviously, any of you, because none of you come from my church. I, this is the first time I've seen your faces. I met one girl um, here that was at a, another conference I did in the spring. So all that to say, if, if I say anything that's confusing for you, I'd be happy to, to talk with you during the week. So just come grab me, and uh, um, if I say anything that you don't understand or that is confusing or even um, you know would be helpful if you had a better explanation, just come find me. I just want to open myself up to you. So. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 14. This is God's Word. We always, give thank, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. It was given to us for our good. 
and also for his glory. So let's pray now and ask the Lord to teach us his word. Father, we thank you that um, you've worked the same way that you've worked since the beginning of time, which is through your word, through your people. We thank you that we don't have to invent new ways for the Spirit to come to us tonight. That even as we ask you to pour out your Spirit on us, we trust that you'll do so in the same old ways, the old paths, that you've given to your people. And that's through your word. And that's through our fellowship together. And we pray that you would do so now, not because we deserve it, but because you're good. In your name, amen. Um, my best friend in high school was a guy named Luke Brown. Luke lives out in California now, Southern California. Um, but Luke is, uh, he's huge. He's, well, you know, huge for me. Um, he's 6'6", six, six, I don't know, probably 260 now, but he's about 220 then. Um, he was the best basketball player on our high school basketball team, the only one that went on to play any sort of meaningful, have any sort of meaningful college career. He played four years in college. And... Um, uh, Luke was the kind of guy that was always, he always had stories. Something was always happening to him. And Luke uh, worked for four years in our local Lowe's. They even trusted Luke to close the store down at night. And one night, uh, Luke was closing the store down. He had put everything away and he had locked the doors. And he was walking out to his car when something assaulted him on the left side of his face. Hit him in, you couldn't see it, kind of came out of his peripheral. And hit him right here. And so Luke instinctively put up his hand to his ear where the thing hit him. And in doing so, he actually trapped a moth in between his hand and his ear. You know where I'm going here? So the moth has no erogenous, right? The moth climbs up into his ear. Let that sink in for a second. You want to hear this? No. It goes inside of his head. And so I think he probably does what any of us would do at this point. He starts freaking out a little bit. So he's trying kind of with his fingers to get the moth out of his ear, and he, his fingers won't go that far, and so he just says, forget about it, and he jumps in his car, and he ignores, like, traffic lights, things that we would find important. <laughs> roads. He drives through yards, he hops over things with his car, and police actually begin to follow Luke to the emergency room. And Luke ignores everyone that's standing there in line with other legitimate emergencies in your emergency room, because you have an emergency, and he ignores everybody and goes right to the front of the line and asks to be seen immediately. Now, uh, again, he was the kind of guy that had those stories. Luke recovered just fine, they took the moth out, no harm done. Just a ridiculously weird, strange story. But if you'd seen Luke that night, you'd have known one thing about him. That something had gotten inside of him. <laughs> there was no doubt that something on the inside was in complete control of Luke's life. The question I want us to answer tonight from this text, it's pretty simple. How in the world do you know the gospel has actually gotten inside of you. How do you know that the person and work of Jesus Christ is commanding your life? You know, what you want most, what you're focused most on, is the kingdom that he's building. C.S. Lewis, in his um, 
you know, his most famous nonfiction book, Near Christianity, uh, differentiates between a um, between paint and a stain. Um, and what Lewis says is that, you know, I mean, this is obvious, but paint is only laid on the surface of something, right? Um, paint, when you paint something, it doesn't affect the internal composition of the object. So you can get paint on your hand and you can go wash it off. You can get paint on your hand and if you just leave it alone, it'll wear off in a couple of days. Stain, on the other hand, is something that actually soaks right through. It penetrates into the object and it actually gets inside the object. So the stain actually is something that is both on the inside and on the outside. And whenever Paul talks about the gospel, and I would say this, when any biblical author talks about religion, being stained is what they have in view, as opposed to merely being painted. In other words, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to heal this world, that God has sent him as his anointed, and that in his person and work we find the answer for all of our problems, that news is supposed to go so deep down inside of you that it commands you that what you do on the outside is merely an extension of who you are on the inside. See, God wants you to be stained by the gospel and not merely painted by it. In the passage, the opening one we sort of turn to this tonight tells us what it looks like to be stained by the gospel. And a little bit of context that I think will help us out. It's not just to prove to you that I studied something, but in terms of context, here's a little background for this passage. Paul had never met the Colossian Christians before in his life. The Colossian church had come into existence, and you can even see that in that passage, through the evangelistic efforts of a man named Epaphras. And so Paul himself only knew that the Colossians in terms of a report or their reputation. That's an important footnote to keep in mind as we sort of move ahead. So back to our question, how in the world do you know? How in the world do you know that you've been stained by the gospel and it's gotten so deep down inside of you that it commands you? And I think Paul mentions two things from our passage tonight, and it's nicely broken up into two paragraphs. The first is this. The gospel is inside of you, and it's going to come out of you. The gospel is inside of you, then it's going to come out of you. And number two, if the gospel is inside of you, then you're actually going to come into more of it. If the gospel is inside of you, then you're actually going to come into more of it. Let me say it another way. If you've been stained by the gospel, then the gospel right now is growing both through you and in you. Both through you and in you. So let's look at those two in turn. First in verses 3 through 8. So we know the gospel has taken root in the Colossian Christians because we can read it here. Paul says, so in verses 3 through 4, look there with me. It says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And then in verses 5 through 6, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. So according to Paul, and this is important for us to even recognize, the Colossian Christians have already believed the gospel. But remember in our footnote, right? Has Paul met the Colossian Christians? No. Well, then how, do, how does he know? Right? I mean, how does he actually know that their faith is genuine? Well, it tells us. 
Because he heard about their faith from others. You see that? Their tangible love for the saints has actually been cataloged. It's been witnessed. Paul's companions, they can actually point to real occasions in which the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, has been made manifest in their lives. Paul knows, Paul knows, because what's on the inside is coming out of them. I had a friend who officiated a wedding recently for a family member, and his young boys were asked to be ring bearers. And I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding in which two little kids end up walking an aisle with either a basket of flowers or a pillow that make you think a ring's there, but of course people are smart enough not to put a ring there. But this rarely turns out as wedding planners envision it, right? So, um, you know, these two guys, the procession begins, and the boys start making their way to the altar when the youngest son, David, throws his stuff down. And he raises his arms, and he starts growling at all the guests. Right there in the middle of the aisle. And so all the way down the aisle, he's growling, and snorting, and roaring, and baring his teeth, and making scary faces, foaming at the mouth. And it turns out that little David thought he'd been asked to be the ring bearer, which is important. <laughs> Not the ring bearer. And so he's doing all that he can to be the best ring bearer that he can be. Our three-year-old, you've probably seen him wandering around. Um, he, was, uh, he was a ring bearer two weeks ago in a wedding. And he thought it would be fun. They had him stand up afterwards while the pastor prayed that he would practice doing handstands whenever the congregation started praying. So, um, you got to love little boys at weddings, right? Look, you can, you can dress them up in tuxedos all you want to. But it's not going to change who they are on the inside. They're going to act like little boys. That's really a good lesson for us to hear tonight. What is on the inside inevitably ends up coming out of us and it inevitably ends up showing itself to other people. And really, it would take us the whole week to catalog all the ways in which the gospel should be coming out of us. In some ways, that's what Paul does over and over in his letters in the New Testament. But in the interest of time and for this passage, maybe we should sort of focus and collect all of those under one clarifying point of reference. And you can find that point of reference in the, in the first four words of verse 3. It says, we always thank God. In other words... Paul says to the Christians at Colossae, we as the church are so thankful for you. One of the most practical ways that we know the gospel is coming out of us is by actually listening to what the church says about us. What do your pastors and your parents see in you? Now, you have an opportunity this week, I think that each of you will sit down at some point with a counselor they're going to talk to you about what they see in you, right? Is your life an occasion for the church of Jesus Christ to give thanks? Are you a blessing or a burden to God's people? And really what I'm asking you to do here is sort of change the way that you think about the church. Now, this, you know, this isn't going to come as a surprise to you, but we are a, cons- we're a, we're a culture of consumers, right? So the first question that we always ask about anything, in fact... It's the question that all of us ask before deciding whether to come to this camp this week. What am I going to get out of it? Right? I mean, is this thing going to actually be worth my time? What am I getting out of this? And that means that what we end up doing is we intuitively judge churches as consumers on the basis of what we think we're going to get out of them. But Paul's making an opposite point, is he not? 
according to Paul, the church should be getting from us. Right? Not just giving to us. And maybe even the first question that the gospel calls us to ask of the church is not, what's in it for me? But what can I do right now to help you in your life and mission? Not what can I get out of you, but what could you get out of me? Now, as a high schooler, I thought about this a lot. You probably sit here and wonder, you know, I don't know. I don't have any money to give. I'm not old enough to do anything like being a committee or the things that I think are important or I see as being important. Um, you know, I have much free time. I go to school and my parents, then they drive me to this practice where I, I practice the violin or I do this and this and this. I don't have, what do I do as a high schooler? Now, I want you to know that's a very good question, and the answer never changes, okay? The answer never changes. What the church needs most from you is not your money. What the church needs most from you is not for you to fill up your schedule with church activities. It's not loads of your time. What the church needs most from you is not your leadership per se. Now, all of those things will be in the mix. But what the church needs most from you is what she needs most from all of her people, regardless of their age, or economic earning potential, or giftedness. It's just your faithfulness. It's faithfulness. The primary way that you become a blessing to the church is to be faithful in the very place that God has called you right now. Whether you're at school, or you're at home, or you find yourself in worship, whether you're playing baseball, or practicing the violin, or um, studying for a test, whether you're talking to your parents, or listening to a confused friend, or maybe getting ready to go on a date, whether you've been hurt, whether you've hurt someone else, whether you feel happy, or lonely, or lost, or anxious, whether you look in the mirror, and you actually like what you see, or you look in the mirror, and you loathe what you see. Whether you have a lot of time and a lot of stuff or none of that, or whether you have something in between, whatever the context, listen to me, the call is always the same. It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness to the God who, as Paul says in verse 13, has delivered you from the domain of darkness and who has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The opportunities for your faithfulness, even now, are as boundless as the life that God has given you. That's not very specific, so I thought I'd be more specific. Let me just give you one particular, even sort of more specific application for you. I think it'll be helpful. And we see it in the Colossian church in verses 4 and 7. Verse 4, Paul says that the Colossians have heard the gospel. In verse 7, he says they've learned it. And here's what we know about the Colossian church, at least from Paul's own feelings about them. Um, the gospel is coming out of the Colossian Christians because they are really, really, really good listeners. See that? They've become really good listeners. One of the things that you can do right now is to become a good listener. To learn to listen and receive the Word of God. You know the only thing that separates the fourth soil and the parable of the soils? You know the fourth one's the one that bears fruit and the three other ones are not the ones you want to be? The only one that separates the fourth soil is the fourth soil listens and receives the Word of God and then bears much fruit. Jesus even says that the fruit doesn't even matter that much. Some bears 30, 60, whatever. The four soil listens. You can do that right now. 
You can become a good listener. You can ask good questions while you're here this week. You can pay attention to the shepherds that God has given you to care for your own soul. Anybody can do that. Be a good listener. So that the church begins to say about you, as Paul once said about the Colossians, we always thank God. We always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It's one of the ways that you know the gospel is inside of you. It's coming out so that the church is actually grateful for you. But Paul points our attention to another uh, paragraph as well. And it's something that I'm going to tell you tonight is even more important. And I really want you to listen. We don't have much more time tonight. I, I don't speak for a long, long time when I get up here. So we're actually kind of coming to a conclusion. And this really is very, very important, this last paragraph. What Paul wants you to know, if the gospel's inside of you, that you actually begin to come into more of it. And I think I'll be able to explain to you what I meant here in a second. Let's look at the text itself first. So Paul, so the, sec, the second paragraph is all about Paul praying for the Colossians, right? So in verse 9, Paul and his companions are praying that the Colossians will be, it says, filled up. So you can imagine a glass that's, you know, got something in it, but it's not filled up yet. He's praying that they would be filled up with spiritual wisdom. And in verse 10, that they may be increasing in the knowledge of God. You see that language. And finally, in verse 11, that they may be strengthened according to the power of God. What Paul is praying that the Colossians would do is to grow into more and more and more of what they already have. Do you see that? What he wants for you, for me, for the church, is that we would know God more deeply and more fully than we even know Him right now. My three-year-old son loves the zoo. got a zoo pass this year. Um, the zoo is like a mall to him, and so like when he we see cages, he sees options for purchase, and so he'll go through the zoo and pick out things that he wants for his birthday. And so he wants a monkey, uh, maybe a giraffe, maybe you can talk him into a Lego pirate ship, Patrick. I think I would prefer that. Um, uh, so this is going to be a very disappointing fourth birthday because my wife won't even consider a dog right now. So. Um, uh, so when we first took him to the zoo, though, the Dallas Zoo, when you go into it, the um, first thing on your right is, um, is the, sort of the children's section. We made the mistake of taking him there first. And when you get to the children's section, it's exactly what you think it would be. It's a, it's a petting zoo with domesticated farm animals, right? So it's like goats, sheep, and, which are fine. I like goats and sheep. Um, cows and all those things. And there's like a critter museum where you get to look at bugs and yada, yada, yada. Well... It's a good setup, and the first time we took him there, we made the mistake of taking him there first. Um, and he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave the children's zoo. So the way that we began to prod him along is we just said this, don't you want to see what else is out there? I mean, right? And look, you go to the zoo to see the big animals. You go to the zoo to see the alligators and um, you know, the gorillas, the lions, the giraffes, all these things that you've only seen in picture books. They're all out there for you. He said no. And so he dragged him kicking and screaming, but he wasn't kicking and screaming for long. Because he saw that we were right. The zoo got better and better the further and further he got in. And that's what Paul is telling you tonight. The gospel gets better and better the further and further you go in. You're in the kingdom right now, and it gets better and better. And so come and see, Paul says to the Colossians, come and explore the incredible wisdom and knowledge and power of God come increase in all the fruits of the gospel that He wants to hang on you. 
Come know the joy that is waiting for you as He calls you into the very Trinitarian fellowship that makes up the Godhead itself. It is your inheritance. Don't you want to come and see it? All of it belongs to you. You know, what Paul is saying, and this is important, it's really the heart of what I want you to hear tonight, is that it's not just enough for things to be happening on the outside of you. In other words, it's not enough for the gospel to simply be going out from you in your words and in your actions. That's good. But Paul prays for more. Paul prays that things would be happening on the inside of you as well. And being stained by the gospel means that your own hearts are being filled with more and more of the knowledge of God. And as a result, you are continually yearning to go further and further and further in. Just really, because you can't wait to see what more is out there. And I think that there's an internal rationale too. Let me tell you about it here. The reason that this is so important, the reason that Paul praises for Colossians despite their immaculate reputation is that it is so easy for us to become Pharisees. It is so easy for us to twist the gospel into a story about us and forget that it's really not about us. It's really about Jesus Christ. And the Colossians, come on, think about it, could easily fall in love with their own reputation, their own resume, their own applause at the hands of the apostle. I mean, this is Paul, right? Pretty big deal. And Paul's sitting over, this, over there doing this to them. They could easily fall in love with those things and forget the one that has made them lovely in the first place. And so it is with you. And we call you leaders here this week. Right? And the church looked at you. And your church said you're mature enough to come to this leadership camp because of your reputation. You were chosen because your pastors deemed you mature. So you've done well. And the Colossians have done well. And that should be celebrated. But it's as if Paul is issuing a subtle warning to us all here tonight. Beware of aiming at the celebration. Beware of aiming at the outward decorations, lest you forget that they belong to God in the first place and not to you. And you only wear them. You only wear them. You're only qualified to wear them because of His grace alone. And only, only as we come into more and more of the gospel will we be protected from forgetting that. Forgetting that the gospel is not really about us. And that it's not really our reputation that's at stake here. A friend of mine named John Stone, he was my campus minister in college. He's still, he's Tom and I's boss still. <laughs> um, he told me a story once about a young couple that he knew they were about to get married. He wasn't doing the wedding, but he saw the girl out one day. And he said, were well, you excited about your wedding? She said, absolutely. You can't wait. Um, we've got the best reception place in the city. The flowers are going to be gorgeous. You should see my dress. It's beautiful. It's going to be an incredible night. And John was thinking, okay, that's kind of great. You didn't mention your fiance. Let me ask you again. Um, are you excited about uh, Mary, marrying so-and-so? He said, yeah, the, the wedding is going to be awesome. Um, we have this photographer, and he's very well known for the pictures that he takes. And um, did I mention the flowers, the colors of the flowers in my dress and these other things? And John knew something was up at that point. And so this is sort of what he does anyway. He just looked at her and said, let me ask you something. Do you even love this boy at all? And at that moment with that question, the young girl fell apart. 
And she started sobbing uncontrollably because she was finally forced to admit that she didn't love the guy she was marrying at all. What she was in love with was the idea of a wedding. Her wedding. It is possible for you to fall in love with all of the decorations, with all the stuff that surrounds Christianity with a campy, and forget that your first calling, that my first calling is to love Christ, but even more than that, to know more about his love for you. And so we really started with a simple question tonight. How do you know that the gospel has gotten inside of you? How do you know that it has stained you in such a way that it's made and left an indelible mark on your soul? And, and you know for two reasons. You know because it comes out of you in such a way that the church is thankful for you. And you know because you come into more of it in such a way that you are supremely, and I can't emphasize that word enough, supremely thankful for Jesus. Your greatest joy, as Paul prays here, is to know more of the groom who has claimed you as his own. And you'll do a lot of things this week that's a good place for you to start. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do love us and that, um, as Paul says later in Romans, um, early in Romans, that nothing can separate us from your love, not even our own misunderstanding of it, um, our own apathy towards it. And so, um, once again, Father, we pray that you would nourish us in the gospel, that you would um, give our souls wings to fly, and that you would do that through um, knowing more of your grace, that you would elevate us to you, bring us to you by your grace, and that we would know more of the God that Paul invites us to know more of here, that we would go deeper and farther in, and that we would be, not be satisfied with what we know more now, but that we would long to know more of your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.